Pastor Xavier Reese asks who's getting the greater use of what God's given him. If you make good money and you have your BMW, you have your Mercedes, you have your beautiful house, a mansion, I don't want you to feel condemned. But I do want you to look at your heart and see if that's where your heart is. I do want you to look at how much God gives to you and what it is that you do with it and how you spend it and what portion do you use that for the kingdom of God. It's no surprise in these difficult economic times that the topic of money is constantly being discussed. But in good economic times or bad, Christians are called to follow the Bible's commands regarding money. Jesus told his followers to put others ahead of themselves and to give away what they can spare. By adhering to his commands, Christ's followers have an opportunity to live out their faith not only in word, but also through their deeds by practicing economic evangelism before a watching world. And as Pastor Xavier has been leading us through the epistle of James, we've come across some important simple truths regarding priorities for money along those lines. Let's listen. There are four sins that James mentions regarding the rich. The first is found in verses 2 and 3, the amassing of wealth. The second, in verse 4, the exploiting of the poor. The third, in verse 5, the extravagance of life, and the last and fourth is the abuse of the poor in verse 6. The opening verse provides the context of rebuke and judgment regarding these rich individuals. In the days of James and Paul in the New Testament, there was no middle class. And so you have James centering here on the rich or the poor, and you find this throughout the scriptures. The first sin of the rich that James mentioned is the amassing of wealth in verse 2 and 3. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat up your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Riches and wealth were determined by three things in the Middle East and at that time. They consisted in crops, garments, and precious metals. Now the wealth that is condemned here is that of hoarding, not that of possessing. That which is non-productive, that which is wasted, it's implied by the word corrupted in verse 2. It is a word that is used for crops, produce, it means to rot, to decay. It refers to having those crops beyond the date and the durability of it being consumed. It rots. It wastes. The individual who just desires to pile up just to declare his wealth, he cannot even consume it, neither does he want anybody else to consume it. This is the individual he's speaking about. The reference to garments being moth-eaten implies the individual that has so much clothing that he never gets around to being able to wear all. 
And by the time he comes to the next one, it's moth-eaten, which implies it has been there for a long time. And yet there are others who don't have a coat on their back. Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth where rust and moth does corrupt them, but store them in heaven. He says, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Where's your heart? Secondly, the rich were exploiting the poor in verse 4. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. The rich were robbing the poor by their daily wages and getting richer. This was condemned both in the law and the prophets. Let me read you a little bit of the law. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13. It says, You shall not defraud your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You see, the poor depended on those wages at the end of the day. And if you as, a, as an employer kept them back, he couldn't feed himself or his family that day. The law condemned it. The illustration is made vivid by the prophet Amos. Just listen. Amos rebukes the social oppression of the poor in the Old Testament. He's classic. Listen to what he says. Hear the words, you cows of Basham, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. The cows are not four-legged. They're speaking about the women. Notice the characteristics of the women when society has decayed and become corrupt. The woman will always tell you where a civilization is at and a nation. And when the woman becomes perverted and corrupt, it is the last stages of society. For let me propose to you that it is the woman who holds the moral standard of society together. And once that goes, so the nation. We're well on our way, people. We're well on our way. Listen again. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion, who trust in the mountain of Samaria. Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail. God takes it to heart when those who are in the position of power and authority and might oppress the poor. You look at any nation that has risen to power, and then from power goes to extravagance, and from extravagance goes to decay. We're simply on the downhill now. Now, how do I exploit the poor? I'm not rich. I don't have 20 Cadillacs, five houses. Then how can this be applicable to you and myself? Sometimes the cheapest people I have known are Christians. They always want something for nothing, and at other times they want everything for nothing that's an insult to the principle of scripture we are to be known for being givers not takers the modern church today is known only by being takers not givers we have come a long ways from the biblical perspective do you always try to drop names to get a reduced price you know people at a certain shop, do you go there because you get a reduced price? Now, there's nothing wrong with that in itself. 
if it's a benefit. But if that's your motive and if that's the way you're always doing business, then it's wrong. Because if you get a discount, that means somebody else has to make it up somewhere else. It's the law of economics. You try to drop hints to allow people to know your needs always. There are people in the church of Jesus Christ who have legitimate needs and they are weak and they will always have needs. And we must be sensitive to meet needs and to exhort them upon their situation. But there are others who make it a practice of life to live off the body of Christ. And they know just enough people in the body and they've been in the body just enough time to get the right jargon, to put the right tone inflections, to get the right facial expressions, and to do it spiritually that somebody will meet their need. And then they have the nerve to say, God provide it. No, that's an insult. Thank the man or the woman who provided for you. Now, I'm not saying God cannot meet needs through individuals because surely that would be against Scripture. But if you do have a need, then you go to your closet and pray and really see God work as you come into the church and God speaks to that individual and he comes up to you and says, by the way, I'd like to give you something. Then God will get the glory on both ends. But be careful you're not fleecing or begging always. That's a sin God will not overlook on that side. Thirdly, the rich were living in extravagance in verse 5. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Their focus is earth instead of heaven. They don't seek the wisdom which is from above, which... James spoke about in chapter 1, verse 5. In chapter 3, verse 17 through 18. But it's sensual, devilish, earthly, demonic, full of confusion, self-deceit, self-indulgence, self-seeking. It delights in it. In that earthly wisdom. Chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. Colossians 3, 2 says this. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Where's your mind? Now, we all go through warfare. We're all struggling. We're all pressing towards the mark. So there's things that come in and things that struggle and all that. So I'm not saying that you just put it on cruise and go. If you have arrived there, I'd like to talk to you afterwards so I can take some notes. But for 15 years, it hasn't been my experience. Neither do I find that in Scripture. Their goal is pleasure and luxury or indulgence. Extravagance. We're not talking about there being anything wrong with having a house. We're not talking about anything wrong having a car, clothes, taking vacation, having a savings account, planning for the future. That's another misnomer that many Christians have. We're not to plan. We're not to save. I can give you more scriptures that says we are. What the scripture says, don't trust in that. Don't put your dependency on that. That's what the scriptures teach. 
The problem is that as God blesses us financially, we think that it's basically because we're so good and we deserve it, so we move up in the scale of life. And the truth of the matter is that the more God gives us, the less He gets. Because after all, we've been so good, God wants us to indulge. What a snare. 1 Timothy 5, 6 says, One who lives in pleasure is dead while he lives. Listen to Amos 6, 3. Woe to those who lie in their beds of ivory and stretched out their couches. There's the people who have oppressed the poor. Now please, don't walk out of your condemned. If you make good money, very, very good money, and you have your BMW, you have your Mercedes, you have your beautiful house, a mansion, I don't want you to feel condemned. But I do want you to look at your heart and see if that's where your heart is. I do want you to look at how much God gives to you and what it is that you do with it and how you spend it and what portion do you use that for the kingdom of God. Who's getting the greatest use of God's money, you or him? We all have to look at that no matter how much we make. None of us can escape that. The trouble is we usually pick someone who's better off than us so we can put them down and we can exalt ourselves. That's bad, bad business. Therein is fattening of their hearts as cows, unaware of the slaughter. Two possible interpretations. One, that their manner of life was so extravagant that they feasted every day as if they were, they were in a feast once in a while. You know, Turkey Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, we stuff our faces more than we usually do every day. Because if we stuffed our faces like that every day, I mean, we wouldn't be able to get in the double door in the back there. That's one possibility. And that kind of gives us a good slant. But I prefer the second one. That here they are stuffing themselves just in extravagance. And all they're doing is they're fattening themselves up as those cows who are feeding. And they don't know they're the next to slaughter. <laughs> I like that. They're adding to their own hurt. I think the rich young ruler is a classic illustration of this. The gospel says that Jesus looked upon him and loved him. And he says, what must I do, master, to gain eternal life? He says, keep all the commandments. He says, I have from my youth. He says, then you lack one thing. He says, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. The scripture says that he walked away sorrowful for he had many riches. You see, he was used to living a life of extravagance and he could not put that aside. I think of the godly men who have been called to ministry. Doctors. Dr. Lloyd-Jones. Many others who had a lucrative and just a very prosperous profession. And they answered the call of God because they knew that money wasn't the answer to life. Now extravagance must be measured by the individual living and earning, as I said. Don't compare yourself to someone else. You have to look. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 that we are to give in proportion as God has blessed us. Everything is in proportion too. Remember Jesus was in the treasury? 
He called his disciples. He saw all the Pharisees. They were tithing of everything. Their, their anise and cumin, all their spices. And this one woman put some mites in. He says, come here, you guys. Look at her. They all gave of their abundance, but she gave of her livelihood. The truth of the matter is that the poor always give more than the, those of us who are in the middle class and the upper middle and the well-to-do because they sacrifice a lot more. David said when he came to the threshing floor of Ornan, and Ornan said, here, take the sheep, take the threshing floor. I don't want no money. He says, no, no, no. I will not give to God what does not cost me. Does it cost you to give to God? Does it cost you to give to others? Or do you just give of your surplus? I'm speaking to myself. I'm not an exemption. I must look at my own heart. Extravagance needs to be tempered with moderation. The Christian must be moderate. That does not mean that he is to live in rags. I think that we're to dress nice. I think that we're to have the latest hairdos. I think that we are all right, but everything in moderation. It's that extravagance that really desires to have attention. That's really boasting. And it's really wasteful. Extravagance is not conducive to the steward of God. Let's face it, we can only eat so much food. We can only wear one pair of pants at one time. Now that doesn't mean you're only supposed to have one pair of pants. But let's face it, if you have uh, oodles and oodles of pants, there are a lot of people that have no pants at all. And we need to consider that. The fourth and last sin of the rich is the abuse of their power in verse 6. You have condemned and have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Money is not the object. After a certain amount, I am convinced. I believe that the ultimate object is power. Money is equivalent to power. You have money, you have power. They abuse their power to manipulate and twist judgment to their own favor in the courtrooms. They would take the poor and take them to court and take everything from them. Remember that parable Jesus gave of that king who demanded of his steward and he was going to throw him in. He said, oh, be merciful to me, and he did. And then he went out and found that man who owed him just pennies and he grabbed him by the neck and said, give it to me. And when the king heard it, hmm, when the shoe's on the other foot, it's a little different. James has already implied it in chapter 2, verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Now he really nails it right here. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what are you guys doing as Christians going to court with each other? You're allowing a pagan, a non-believer to judge between you two who are believers? It's to your shame. Take the least of the church and he would be better equipped to judge between 
both of you. They abused their power to silence the poor. They murdered the just. Even to the point to where they would kill them to take the little that they had so they would become richer. Remember the vineyard of Naboth? The king wanted it. He went home pouting. The queen says, what's up, man? He says, well, I want this vineyard and he won't sell it to me. <laughs> hey, man, you're king. Take it. She went out and had him killed. She says, hey, king, I got something for you. Here's the vineyard. You and I have to be careful that we don't abuse our power. Every one of us have power. Some of us have more power than others. One of the greatest checks I have to have continually as a pastor is the power to make decisions. The power to hire and fire. Why do I do it? Do I do it under righteousness? Do I do it because it is just? Or do I do it because I have the power to do it? I need to abide in Christ and the Word so that God can use that power for His glory. God forbid that we as Christians should fall into this category of abusing our power towards one another, towards our wife, our husband, our children, to the less fortunate. What an indictment. Notice it's magnified. They don't resist. They trust God in their sufferings. What are those individuals? These four sins are common today. Man has not changed. Let me close by quoting Some of the wealthiest men in 1923, a group of the world's most successful financiers, met at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. Collectively, these tycoons controlled more wealth than there was in the United States Treasury. And for years, newspapers and magazines had been printing their success stories and urging the youth of the nation to follow their example. Now, years later, listen. 27 years after... 1923. Charles Schwab, the president of the largest independent steel company, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and died penniless. Arthur Cutton, the greatest wheat speculator, died abroad insolvent. Richard Whitney, the president of New York Stock Exchange, was released some time ago from Sing Sing. Albert Fall, the member of the president's cabinet, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. Jesse Livermore, the greatest bear in Wall Street, committed suicide. Leon Fraser, the president of the Bank of International Settlement, committed suicide. Ivar Kruger, the head of the world's greatest monopoly, committed suicide. All these men had learned how to make money, but not one of them had learned how to live. How about you? I hope that you're lifting that to the Lord and that He would guide your steps. Don't let a preacher tell you how much. Don't let Christians tell you where. You go to God. And you let God tell you where to put that money. After all, He did give it to you. 
it's only right. Pastor Xavier Reese, providing the simple truths and warnings for the love of money from Chapter 5 in our study series of the Epistle of James. Now, just before we close, let me take these last moments to mention that copies of today's Simple Truth study titled Sins of the Rich are available, as always, on CD for just $4. And we'll be able to include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last we were together as well. Once again, the title to ask for is simply Sins of the Rich, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese.